0: Every now and then I, um, I think about the crazy things my parents taught me. And one of them was this. I think you probably know this as well. Sticks and stones may... But words will never hurt me. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) I mean, sticks and stones will break your bones, but words can devastate. I remember this girl that I liked in high school. And she had a nickname for me and it was fish lips. (laughs) And I wasn't sure if it was because I was a good kisser or because I had big lips. But from that point on, every time I talked to a girl, I kind of pulled my lips in a little bit. Because words can devastate, can't they? James talks about words. And I think um, probably one of the most profound lessons in James. Last week, you know, when we were talking about chapter two, and we talked about this idea that faith and our faith isn't just like a cerebral game that we play, but it's it's something that we have to do. And James was was building this idea that a faith without any good deeds behind it is actually a dead faith. It doesn't exist like faith, must be matched by action. And I think that's the central message of, of, of James, the, the centerpiece. But this this lesson that James gets after in terms of our words, I think it's one of the most profound for us. And see, we tell our kids, and I think my parents with great intentions taught me this, this idea that sticks and stones can hurt your bones, but, but words can never, can never harm you. I, I think they taught me that with good intentions so that I wouldn't allow other people's words to to stick, good intentions, but it's just not true. I'll never forget my third-grade teacher, Miss Kelly, one day in front of the entire class, third grade, and I can still remember it. Uh, They were doing some construction at our elementary school, Valley Elementary School in in Pelham, Alabama, and and, uh, she couldn't find a parking place that morning, and so she was talking about it to the class, and she said... I couldn't find a parking place this morning, but I could probably park my car between the front two teeth of Matt Anderson. She said that in front of the whole class. I'll never forget that. Don't worry, this is not a counseling session. I'm over it, or I wouldn't tell you about it. I'm over it. I mean, all of us. I bet we could, we could form a line this morning, and you could sit here, and you could, you could tell something that someone said to you. You could say something that has stuck with you throughout your entire life. And so James talks about words. And he begins a little, it's it's, it's a little subtle in chapter 1. Understand this, my brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Now, James One of the things I think we often miss, James, as he's writing this letter, he has individuals in mind. So he has us in mind individually and how it affects us individually. But we can never lose sight of the fact that James is talking, uh, in a sense, communally to the people of God. And he wants them to understand this as a community community. And so we can't fail to understand the, the importance of this as it relates to all of us together. Now, you could take this into your house and say this is true for our home. I think this is true for families. I think it's true uh, for individuals. I think it's true for businesses. I think it's true for the church or the people of God. James says, understand this. We, we must all, all of us, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Now, most of us could probably just say, that's a sermon in and of itself. Let's be done right there, right? Because all of us could spend some time probably working on that. Anyone in the room struggle with anger issues? You're not gonna raise your hand, I know, but... (laughs) Right? I mean, that's a great lesson for all of us, quick to listen. In fact, if we could memorize that and repeat it to ourselves throughout a day, it's probably a good practice. I should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and even slower to get angry. Yeah, that's a good thing to memorize. I remember someone telling me, hey, Matt, you should always remember you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. That's, that's a good thing. And so James kind of drops this in chapter one, and then he kind of leaves it there. And then chapter three, he comes back and like gets after it. So you're ready to get after it? All right, here we go. We all make many mistakes, says James. Now, that's where there should be an amen or something. You can talk back to me. Amen? We all make many mistakes? Yes, amen. Good. If we could control our tongues, according to James, if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. Now, this word perfect, um, if we were to translate that into the Greek, we would get the word perfect. (laughs) There's like no side meaning here from James. He's saying if we could learn to control our tongues, the things that we say, the ways that we use our words, James is saying we would actually be perfect. And. If we can learn to control that, we can learn to control everything else within our lives that we have the power to affect. And then he gives us some examples. We put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us. And then we can direct their whole bodies. So he gives this example of a horse, which was very common back in this day, a powerful creature that's tough to tame, right? Now, in our day and age, horses are tamed all the time, and we have them in in pens, but we all can understand a bit in the mouth of a horse can guide and direct that horse just about anywhere you take it, correct? So he wants us to understand this, that a small piece inserted into the mouth of a huge, powerful animal can control that animal. Then he gives us another example. Consider also the case of a large ship. It takes strong winds to blow them along, but one small rudder will turn them whichever way the captain desires. So he wants to then paint this picture. So he talks about an animal, a horse, a large, powerful animal. And now he talks about something even larger, a ship. And the ship in that day that they would have thought of is not like a ship in our day where it has engines and powerful motors that direct it. Oh. We should be singing that like let it fall song right now. Let it fall. Anyway, so a ship in that day, no powerful engines to control it. So a ship in that day depended upon what? The the wind to blow it. And so he's saying that powerful wind that moves a large ship still can't control the direction of that ship any more than a rudder, which is a small instrument on the back and bottom of that vessel. Now, I think what Paul's getting at, or James is getting at here, is this idea that our words, our tongues, tend to lead us in certain directions. That our bodies, or better yet, our lives, tend to follow in the direction of our words. Our words set a course for us that can't be altered by anything else. Does that make sense? Once you say something, and you say it loudly, you can't take that back. So, just a bit of marriage advice. For those of you who want to talk about marriage, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, (laughs) and slow to get angry, because once you say it, there's no taking it back. Now, um, in our culture, in our day and age, you know what magnifies this? Social media. Isn't it interesting? Uh, Every now and then you'll see something that someone puts out there on social media and they try to take it down, but they can't take it down. I mean, they can take it down, but they can't take it down. It can't be lost, it's there. It can be captured. James is telling us that. Once you say something, it leads you. It's it's leading you somewhere. Which is why he would probably go back to chapter one and say, therefore, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and even slower to get angry. Because once you say it, there's no pulling it back. He carries on. In the same way, the tongue is a little member of the body, but it boasts great things. In other words, it has great energy. It has great power. See how small a fire it takes to set a large forest ablaze? In some translations, it says a spark. Consider a spark which sets a forest ablaze. And I think we've all seen videos and footage in the last number of years in California and Arizona of a forest fire which just devastates entire forests and almost decimates the horizon. And sometimes it begins by a cigarette, some sort of spark, sometimes by intentions of those who don't have the best, right? And then you've got Smokey the Bear. Only you can prevent forest. I thought I'd probably turn that into a sermon somehow, but I set it aside, so we're not going there. Only you can prevent forest fires. The power of your tongue... The power of my tongue, my words, can destroy other people's lives. Then James says this, uh, does a spring put forth both sweet and bitter water from from the same exact source? Do Do these things come out of the same source? Friends, can a fig tree bear olives or a vine bear figs? And then he says, nor can salt water yield fresh water. He's saying that as humans, we tend to try to speak out of both sides of our mouths, right? And I think what is convicting to me is he would, would maybe say, there, there, there are moments that you praise God on Sunday mornings, right, with your hands up, all in. And on Mondays, you curse the same God that you praised yesterday, Right? And he would say, No, 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 no. You, you can't speak out of both sides of your mouth. There's something within you that your words are revealing. And then I always like to go to Jesus. Jesus, uh, who, who tends to, to say things that reveal deep truths and he says this out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks out of the overflow of the heart it's the mouth that begins to talk Um, quick question what would your words this week reveal about your heart if you think back over this week and and the words that you spoke what would it reveal about your heart? Now, there's a lot of ways that we could take that. We could say, okay, um, I, I spoke happy words. I, I, was, I was positive. And then Jesus might ask the question, but what did you talk about more than anything else this week? Like what what, What's your heart captured by more than anything else? What, what were the words that you spoke most often this week? Because that reveals something about the condition of your heart and even your soul. It's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth begins to speak. And Proverbs. Proverbs are these little quick um, tips about life or truths about life that we can grab. And they say things like this: the words of the godly are a life-giving fountain. The words of the of the godly are 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 a life-giving fountain. And then it says um, in Proverbs a little bit later, kind words are like honey. Now, would you say that's true for you? Like when you receive kind words from someone else, it's like honey, it's sweet. Now, some of you might not like honey, but let's just talk about the sweetness. Doesn't it feel good to hear something kind? Yeah. Kind words are like honey. Um, Joe, our worship pastor this week, um, he knew we were talking about words, and so he went home one evening for dinner And he um, sat with his his family and he said this. Uh, He said to his his kids, he said, we're gonna go around the table and um, we're gonna say what we love about each person. Everybody has to pick one thing, specific. What do you love about each person? And he came back the next day and he said, it was unbelievable the joy that came from that experience. The kids saying something about their dad, their mom, and then about each other. Now, that in itself is worth it, right? So if you have kids, go home today. We're going to say one specific thing about each other that we love. Specific, because it's like honey to hear something that someone else loves about you. He said he got home the next night and his kids were like, can we do the love thing again? Aww. Like, can we, can we say that again? And his older kids were like, no. (laughs) And I stole the idea. I I went home the next night, and I said to our family, I said, we're going to say one thing we love about each other, specific. And we went around, and it was just interesting, the smiles on our kids' faces. And I learned that one of my kids likes my style. (laughs) I love your style. That's what he told me. And I smiled, the next morning I got dressed and (laughs) just felt better about myself, you know? Because kind words are like honey to the soul. So James would say, be very careful the words that you use, because they can be like honey. But they also can be very destructive to the people in your lives. My favorite passage that has to do with words comes from Proverbs, and it's like Proverbs builds on this as well. And I want to spend the rest of our time together with this one passage on our minds. Uh, James, by the way, as he talks through our language and our words, um, he talks about it and then he just quits. Like He, he goes on and on about it and he says, can, can, can a spring give both clean water and dirty water at the same time? And then he starts talking about another subject. He's like, just figure it out. And there's this passage in in Proverbs, I think just sums it up. And And it says this words kill and words give life. They're either poison or they're fruit. You decide. I like that translation. Words kill. Words give life. They're either poison or they're fruit. Um, But you have to decide which one it's going to be. You know, sometimes as as I read through Scripture and the examples that they give, like James gives the horse and then he gives the ship and then he gives a forest fire. And I think at some level we can all understand that. And I think sometimes we fail to understand the, the weight of it. And so this week, I just, as I was trying to prepare and think and pray about what it was there, was, there was an example that just kind of popped up to me that I feel like bears a heavy weight when it comes to our words, the words that we use. And I was, in some ways, convicted by this. Uh, in, I, I don't know much about Science. Like, I I, I like science, but I don't get into it a lot. Uh, I know that the atom is small. You know the atom is small? You know what I mean by the atom? The building block of matter? Am I right? Is that right? Okay, good. And I know that the nucleus of an atom is even smaller. And I started thinking about an atom. And when I started thinking about an atom, I, I thought about the atom bomb. And I began to do a little bit of research on what, what, what was the atom bomb? Like, what, what was the, the reaction that took place that created the kind of devastation that took place? And I read about fission and fusion and all these different things that my mind just can't really comprehend. But the idea that, the smallest bit of of the matter in this world, and even smaller than that, the nucleus, if there's a way to take little particles that are moving around and somehow release them, it creates energy, and as they bump into each other, that energy begins to release, and if you have the right kind of atoms, that energy can be overwhelming, the life that we know and so in 1945 a bomb was constructed it's probably 10 feet tall maybe two feet in diameter and so you think well that's that's fairly large but it's not that large so 10 feet tall is like the size of a basketball goal two feet in diameter not much bigger than that strapped to the bottom of an airplane, flown over Japan, and dropped. And I think in, in, in the size, if you think about the size of an island like Japan, you think a bomb is small. I started looking at pictures, and I came across pictures like this one. The bombing of Hiroshima or Hiroshima, at the instant that that bomb detonated, 80,000 people died, 80,000. The power that was released by a small object, 80,000 people. And over the course of the next few months, they say probably another 70,000 due to the radiation that came from that bomb. 150,000 plus. And then, a few days later, another bomb. Now, some, some of you are hearing what I'm not saying. I'm not talking about the, the morality of dropping that bomb. I'm not, I don't want to talk about any of that. I don't want to think about any of that right now. What I want to think about is the power behind a small, Instrument that can devastate large numbers of people—total devastation. I read some uh, the, the the plane as it uh, Tibbets as, as he as he banked around. He was 11 miles from where the bomb detonated, and they felt a pushback of the plane. 11 miles away a small bomb and as I was reading through James and I thought this is the power of our words one word placed at a certain time in someone's ear has the power to completely devastate their life and you might roll your eyes and you might think Matt that's a little overblown it's not because we all know the powers of the words that have been spoken to us. And James says, it's a small member of your body, but it contains immense power to either give life to someone or to take life from someone. And I just began to categorize, and I found this from some other places and then added some, just the different things that we tend to do with our words. And I thought you know, the the moments that we tend to gossip or we, we, we slander someone or we lie about something or we speak in anger just quickly because someone has hurt us and we think we need to retaliate as quickly as possible. And so we say something in anger that we cannot take back. And the language that we use, judgmentalism, some of us just tend to be critical. Um... One time I was golfing with a group, and there were just two of us, and they, they paired two other people with us. And um, there was this guy, and he had no idea what I did, and so he started telling stories. And he was telling a story about playing golf with a priest once, and he didn't know he was a priest. And um, he's telling a story about how... <laughs> ironic. Um, he was telling a story about the language that he used with this priest through the whole round, not knowing he was a priest. And he, so he was telling the language that he used, like he was saying everything that he had said to this priest, and he was like, oh, it was so embarrassing. I had no idea he was a priest. And like five holes in, the question comes up, like, what do you do? (laughs) And most people say, I don't look like a pastor, which I don't know what that means. But okay, I don't look like a pastor. And he said, what do you do? And and in my mind, I just thought, is it okay for me to lie right now, God? (laughs) Because this is going to be devastating to him. Like, he's never going to golf again. <laughs> I'm, I'm a motivational speaker. <laughs> uh, language. Sometimes my wife will, will come to me and she'll say, she'll say, you know, I, I was at the grocery store or here or there, and, and these, these guys were talking, and they just used this language that just seems so unfitting around people they don't know, you know? I think some of us just tend to use language that we don't think twice about it, but it, it's doing something. It's leading us in some, some ways. And I'm not, I, I don't, I'm not legalistic about those things. It's just the things that we say tend to reveal something much deeper within us, and I think we forget that. We don't pay attention to it. So I started writing these things down. So... What would it look like to turn those other things into encouragement and affirmation and just to be people of joy, to say joyful things, uh, to celebrate? You know, Rather than when somebody wins saying, oh, well, they only won because they started first. Or if I would have had that idea to say, oh, no, that's awesome. Did you hear about so-and-so? What would it be like to be having lunch and someone walks in and you're whispering and they come up and they're like, what were you talking about? And we were like, you were like, we were talking about you. Really? Yeah, we were talking about how excited we are for you. That, you know, and it was a good thing, not a bad thing. How great would that be? What would it look like to, to say the words? I think these are some of the most difficult words. Let's see if we can say them together. I was wrong. Let's see if we can say that. You ready? I was wrong. You were? I was wrong. That's a hard thing to say. I'm sorry, I was wrong. I'm sorry. What if we gave forgiveness? What if we spoke words of forgiveness? What if we released people? What if we released people from what they think they owe us? You know what? We're good. We release that. What if our words were words of grace? My words, my words have the power of life and death. It's up to me how I'll use them. Your your words have the power of life and death. Your words can bring life to someone or they can destroy someone's life. But only you can decide that. Only I can decide that. And it's one thing to drop our words and think that they have no power and to turn and walk away, but that's just not true. Your words have power in the lives of other people. I think it's interesting that we sometimes refer to Jesus as the Word of God. Sometimes, when we say the Word of God, we're referring to Scripture. But when John talks about the Word of God, he's talking about Jesus, the person. In the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. And so Jesus, if you think about it, Jesus is the word of God, which is the word of grace and love and hope and peace in our world. That's what Jesus was about. His harshest words were reserved for those who tended to marginalize other people, who tended to cut other people out. The word of God, Jesus, was a picture of the heart of God one of complete love. Um, as we talked about our service today and what we wanted to do to, to kind of close our service, we talked about communion. And communion is this ancient practice that Jesus started. And it's a practice of taking a little piece of bread and a, and a cup, It was wine in the first century and for us is, is juice, and, and taking these two little elements... And simply remembering Jesus. Remembering that the way to life is actually death. Like dying to oneself is the way to find life. And so we're going we're gonna to participate in that ancient practice in just a, a couple of moments. But as we approach that moment... I want us to think about the concept of, of Jesus redeeming our tongues. Now, I know that, that might sound kind of weird, but Jesus was sent to restore what was broken. Jesus was sent to give us a picture of God's heart, but to restore the brokenness of our lives. For any who would realize that we can't do this on our own, to, to, to place our faith and our trust in Jesus alone, that we would be set right with our heavenly Father, and so he redeems us. That's the idea of redemption or restoration. What would it look like to ask him to redeem our words, to redeem our tongues, to make those things new again, to admit that I have used my my words and and my language in very destructive ways. And so, God, I I want you to redeem, redeem what's broken in me, my words. And so today, as as we take communion, I pray that as we taste the bread and we drink the juice, that we would think about him redeeming the way that we use our words, with the people that we love, with the people that we hate, with our neighbors, our classmates, with our business associates, that God would redeem the words and use our words to bring life to other people. The ushers are going to pass the elements to us as we sing. And then I'm going to ask you just to hold those and just think about it. If if you're a follower of Jesus, you're welcome to the table today. If you've placed your faith, your hope in Jesus Christ, you don't have to be a member of this church to take communion. We welcome you to take communion with us, to remember the sacrifice that he made for us. And as we hold these elements to consider, what would it look like for him to redeem my words? To restore what's broken in my life. Just hold on to those elements, and after we sing for a few moments, we'll, we'll take those elements together.